You are now listening to The Big Data Beauty. This is our podcast where we explore the trends, technology, and talented people making big data a big deal. Be sure to stay tuned to the end of our show for a special message from our team. The suspension system in it had given up on us, or at least it had given up on my body weight. <laughs> and so when I sat down, I was like, like going down. Too hard. It was like the kids Slowly. sitting at the adult table, so my arms were like up here. Nobody could see me. It was <laughs> utterly brilliant. So day four of Dell Technologies World, and this is the final episode that the Big Data Beard team is recording in the Dell Luminaries podcast studio. It has been super fun this week to have... What is almost a soundproof booth, I don't th- actually, I don't think you can call it that. We've had a great view of the Dell Technologies uh, TV uh, session over here, but I am uh, glad to have an old friend and a, and a burgeoning friendship, uh, folks, on the, uh, with us today, not including my, uh, my bearded brother over here, Kyle Prinz. How you doing? CTO of the Big Data Beard team. He's, uh, we had an outage recently, and Kyle was nice enough to bring our website back up, uh, so that's why he oh, earned nice. the CTO. He was just a site reliability engineer. He got promoted to uh, CTO. Working nice. my way up in this uh, expansive go. corporation of yeah. six. Nice. <laughs> so we actually have a we're, a, we're instead of going flat like most startups, and we'll no. get, we will get to you in a minute, Pratik. But we're we're vertical, so everybody works for somebody except the bottom person, and that's really whoever's <laughs> not producing content. They're not doing their job yeah. as part of the team. So we're a very verticalized organization. So go. everybody gets a little management experience. <laughs> so today I'm excited to have our friends from Blue Talon, and not just friends from Blue Talon, but founder and CEO of Blue Talon, Pratik Verma. Yep. And our uh, Pratik's got his VP of Alliances and Business Development, Kerry James, along for the ride. Pratik, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having us. How's the show been so far? It's been uh, fantastic. We've been having a lot of fun looking around all the different things that are going on. Uh, we saw the Solution Expo. We went to a lot of talks, learned a lot about you know Dell's vision for the four transformations, and it's been fun. Excellent. So, Pratik, we've had uh, some folks from Blue Talent on before, but we're excited to have you join us when you're in town. This is super fun. I want to hear your story, man. Like, I don't know nearly enough about you. How did you end up in Silicon Valley and starting Blue Talent? Well, it's about chemistry. So, <laughs> <laughs> did not see that coming. Yes, there you go. <laughs> no, I am. Um, so, I'm a chemist by trade. Okay. I went to uh, grad school to do chemistry. And um, that's what got me to Stanford. But really, um, what happened was my dad had created this technology that was very um, innovative. It had to do with data federation, data security, and it was basically funded um, to solve a healthcare problem for one of the big insurance companies. And so um, when my dad sort of uh, passed away, this became his legacy. So I wanted to start a company in and take what he created mm-hmm. with a group of people that he created with and actually bring it to market. So that's kind of how it all got started. Excellent. Um, so I knew nothing about starting companies. Really? Um, <laughs> so I went to uh, one of the Stanford uh, Startex accelerators and got connected to people and then talked to more people and found out that we could actually sell this thing. So that's kind of how the company came out to be. So Stanford seems like it, it literally every big data company. It's either Stanford or UC Berkeley. Seems like all the big data dudes come out of one of those. Yeah, it's mostly Stanford. The Berkeley guys can pretend. <laughs> the amp lab. They, <laughs> yeah. they try really hard. <laughs> I, I got to an- tell you a story. So um, there was one um, s- spring that I went to the Berkeley campus, uh-huh. and I had not realized how bitter the rivalry was because I had my Stanford sweatshirt on Ooh. while I was walking 
through the campus as a throng of you know Cal people yeah. were coming um, across. I got heckled. So <laughs> well, the thing wow. I like Stanford. So besides Stanford being a great university for technology, I get that and entrepreneurship, which we'll get into. But Stanford's also one of those that um, you've ever heard the trivia question: name all the universities who have uh, their mascots either are not plural or don't have a uh, color in them. Stanford Cardinal yeah. is one of them, right? Yeah. So it's anyways, it's a fun trivia question. Nice, put that out there. There's a lot of them. So you went to Stanford for entrepreneurship because your dad created this this le- this, yeah, this technology technology that you wanted to bring on a legacy. So tell me a little bit about what what the technology was when when he kind of where, where he left off and why it was so interesting in the healthcare industry. Yeah. So what he was actually um, around 2009, there was HIPAA regulation and PHI regulation because of what Obamacare, you know, was bringing up, um, became really popular. So one of the things that insurance companies were dealing with at the time was trying to figure out how they're going to basically create value from sharing data with hospitals between insurance companies, but do so without violating HIPAA regulations because there's personal information, there's medical information in that uh, transfer, there's financial information in that data. Mm-hmm. So what my dad, we happened, we lived in Minnesota, so my dad happened to be you know, playing around with a different types of technology. So what he created something, he had an idea of basically merging data on the fly mm-hmm. where you could apply security based on rules before the query hit the databases. Okay. So that was his sort of real innovation. Interesting. Um, so we took it to United Healthcare. They sort of funded the you know early development of it. They used it in their software stack. And then we basically figured out, okay, how could we apply this to sort of a general problem? Was this going to be a healthcare company? Was this going to be a software company? So through various amount of iterations over you know a few years, we finally sort of figured it out that Hadoop and big data platforms like Greenplum, they're really powerful, um, but at the same time, because they were relatively younger at the time than maybe some of the older data warehouses, they didn't have some of the security controls in place because there wasn't a need for it. Yeah. Everybody was worried about more, how do I get make this query faster or how do I do more innovative type of queries? Right. So it ended up, you know, by it's actually a stroke of luck that we created the technology, then we tested it on Hadoop and it worked as it is. Okay. So then we ended up monetizing it on Hadoop and right. then we found out that a lot of people were using Hadoop along with databases. Okay. So actually our value proposition of simplifying security by defining it in one place and then have it be have the software apply it to Hadoop, SQL databases, NoSQL databases actually, you know, started resonating with a lot of people. So okay. we sort of raised money and built a team. So it's a, so I'm trying to understand the technology now for our listeners. So it's a rules engine in software. So you define security rules in yes. software, is it, and it's where you define those rules? Yes, yeah, so the way this works is um, you'll have a centralized management system where you define the rules, you write permissions about who can see what data for what purpose based on their business attributes, based on their roles, based on the classification of data, a variety of things that you want to be able to do for fine-grained control. Then these permissions get pushed into a runtime engine that sucks up this policy in memory. Okay. Now, because it's a centralized service, it can be utilized for many, many different data clusters okay. so that they can have a consistent rule. Okay. Now, the way we put our security in place in line to make it transparent to the end users, we have these agents called enforcement points. Okay. So these enforcement points sit inside the databases so they're transparent to the end user. So let's say I'm a data scientist, I go run a I run Python code okay. and that Python code runs a query on the database. 
we come in path of that without the Python code, you know, throwing up. That's okay. kind of really what the, the innovation oh. there is. So that data scientist would have to have the permissions to access the data and execute that query that he wants. Yes. And that would have been ex that would have been decided in Blue Talon. Yes. And actually, it's usually what happens up happening is um, people, when they think of security, it's, okay, I got to go shut, shut everything down so you have no consumption, okay. or I got to figure out how to enable it piece by piece to, you know, slow down, and which really slows down innovation because people can't get access. With us, instead of saying you get everything or nothing or allow all or deny all, we sit in the great piece of the world where we allow you to get the subset of the data that you care about to yeah. do your analytics without exposing you to sensitive data. And that's really the beautiful thing about what you know the team's created. We've got the team from you know Ranger, from Sentry, from Oracle, um, actually from somebody from Natiza also, who sort of come at, come together and figure it out, well, how do we take that initial grain that my dad sort of created and product, you know, productize it for you know really production use cases when you're dealing with such a wide array of technologies. And yeah, because so that's, that's kind of because that's one thing. I, like I think about like some of this capability has to exist in individual siloed pieces, like pieces of technology. Like Cloudera mm -hmm. has probably some access control, like with their Navigator technology. But you can't really push that across. Some of it, not not as maybe not as in detail. And we'll get in that. Carrie's <laughs> Carrie's like, no, 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 no. I got to go. I got to tell you about to, it. Yeah. You're, allowed, you're allowed to get in there. If you want to tell <laughs> me I'm wrong. But one of the things I would like to finish my question is that some of this has got to exist in some of these platforms. But the challenge it sounds like is that how do you create consistency across multiple platforms? Yeah. And it's actually, even if you take Hadoop as a whole, let's take Cloudera, for example. Yeah. Cloudera, unlike databases before, is not one thing. It's HDFS file system, it's Yarn, yeah. it's Spark sitting on top, it's Hive, Impala, mm -hmm. HBase, Solar, a variety of different things. Right. So if you have to put security in each different place, just take a look at HBase security versus Sentry security in Impala. And you have to do the same thing in each place differently. And that's really a, a mind kind of uh, bending thing for a lot of people because you've got security people. They're not historically data people. And data people aren't really used to think about, think about security as a whole. So now how do you basically make sure that you solve that translation problem of making rules appear to security people in the way they're used to, mm -hmm. but implement it in the way that data platform users would probably implement and so that's really, you know, the interesting part of where we are. You want to yeah, yeah, So I think that's the, the other big part of that is, is yes, Sentry has things, Ranger has things, Teradata has things, Oracle has things, Greenplum has things. And the one thing that's consistent across all those platforms is semantic views, which is how a lot of traditional databases handle that type of security, okay. which works really works well with RBAC, role-based access control. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, I got 10 departments and I got, or department tables in 10 different tables yep. now to write a view you are at you're at 100 views okay. to manage that data and now you want to change one rule well now you got to go to 100 different places or there are tools out there that actually build the views push on the fly yeah. okay. places so, so you push it but you're still managing that in 100 different places so they the the access control and the authorization functions are done at the point of storage. Yep. And this is why analytics, the Hadoop platforms, the, the Green Plum platforms, because they're all about schema on read, right? How what are you doing with the data? Not what are you not thinking about this when I 
store the data. That's yeah, not the point of the ingest. It's exactly. like, just get it in there, and then I'll figure it out, right? Exactly. And so yeah. that's the piece for us that we see different. Yes, each of these have their own silos. It mm-hmm. can do varying capabilities across the silos. But it's when you actually flip that model, and we do it at the point of access, not at the point of store. So you're a security on read. We're yes. security on read. Yeah. Did I just coin that? Nice, nice way to put yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. I like it. <laughs> I'll sell it to you. <laughs> I'll take shares. We, we, we can put TM at the end of it. Exactly. Right. I'll go. take shares. This guy's been in the Silicon Valley <laughs> long enough. So, so it's a. So you said unified access control because that to me feels like really unique thing. Because if I look at a lot of the, what the the big data vendors are doing, it's it's how do I create, how do I build these use these frameworks for processing data and extend them out further but it doesn't solve the security challenge like that there's still a security problem so so what are you guys doing with those vendors to complement their technologies like how are customers using you with those vendors yeah so that, that's um, an exciting thing so there's a couple of things that are you know uh, we're a partner with cloudera we're a partner with pivotal on Greenplum. we're a partner with hortonworks so what we found is when people start using these data platforms in place they want to get started very quickly on a smaller cluster. They put a bunch of data in that a bunch of few early adopters can play around with it. Yep. Then what ends up happening is when they're trying to scale that up for more operational workloads, um, at that point, they basically come and bring us into the deal to say, hey, you know, we've got this customer, this uh, cluster that's got this really cool analytics model. We want to expose the result of this to a wide variety of people in our organization, maybe through an interesting visualization or maybe through a line of business app, whatever that may be. So they bring us in and we add on top of these controls. We put our software in place from the perspective, you know, for the customer, they basically look at Cloudera and they see blue talent in the Cloudera as a service. So okay. for them, the experience is very seamless. Okay. And that allows us to basically fit into the world that um, these data platforms are already providing and add on security as a bolt-on. Okay. And then we can do that at different layers, right? I mean, if you take a look at uh, from even from the Dell world, you've got storage layer, so there's going to be some security there. Mm-hmm. Then there's virtualization for VMware applications with PCF. Okay. What we're really providing is security in the middle above VMware yep. and below PCF. That allows us hmm. to basically segment the data based on security rules so you don't have to go figure out, oh, how do I make my system where there's you know, UAA and ACS security in you know PCF, mm-hmm. synchronize that with my OS or database level security. Okay. And that's kind of one of the things where we provide a lot of value in an ecosystem where there's a bunch of apps, a bunch of data sources, and then you're, you've got a variety of users, not just you know data scientists, but analysts and developers as well. Okay, so you're integrating, obviously you're, you're getting in the middle somewhere. Now, is this something where like, you integrate with like AD for roles. Like, where does that? How, is there some integration points on that setup side of it that are interesting? Yes. So there's basically five things when people think about security as a whole. Okay. You start with some sort of authentication. Okay. So that's typically native to the application. They either have Kerberos, Active Directory, LDAP, and in cases where they don't have native database or other security for authentication, we can inject our own. But mostly, we found in production, people have those fully integrated. Okay. Where we come into the picture is when you have the authorization piece in between okay. the, and the masking. Okay. So we can get a real control around who can see what that data, that user that's identified by Kerberos ticket or identified by Active Directory, mm-hmm. we can define permissions based on that. Okay. And those permissions can be dynamic in such a way that um, you can use business information. An example would be there's a 
um, industrial company that's using our software, and they have sensitive information which they need to parse out based on what business a user belongs to. This is a multinational corporation. They have you know seven or eight lines of business, and a user's information of which business they fit into is present in an HR system someplace else. So we can utilize that information once they're authenticated by an Active Directory system to say, hey, allow this user a subset of data only for their business mm-hmm. and no other business as a whole. Interesting. Um, and then eventually we'll hand off, you know, once we've done authentication, integration, we've done authorization, auditing, masking, eventually people also have encryption yeah. either at the disk level or more targeted, if you will. Like or, almost like homomorphic encryption where exactly. you're actually going cell level, okay. Yeah, so uh, in those cases, what ends up happening is that's transparent to us. And in case people are using more targeted encryption for a particular field using, you know, one of the commercial uh, offerings, Mm -hmm. we can write policy that says you can use this and you can get encrypted data or not and have access to the key or not based on a policy written in Bluetown. Really? Okay. So that gives you a seamless integration all the way from the top of authentication all the way down to encryption with Bluetown being in the middle of it. Wow. That's that's kind of interesting. So. It's <laughs> this concept of like security scares the crap out of so many people. Are security people that really that different from big data people? So I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll, I'll have to uh, bite my tongue on that one. Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I think one, one of the interesting thing is um, security. So data people are all about cool, fast, wide variety of you know, tools and various uh, tools that scares the hell out of security people mm-hmm. because no security person that I know wants to be a no person. They don't want to be no people. Yeah. They don't want to say, don't use that tool, but they have to, and they have to adjust their risk based on it. What we allow them to do is we allow a little bit more cultural sort of understanding between the two groups because we can say, Hey, look, let's use the security software for translating between what security people want to have happen and how it gets implemented. So we don't actually have to get the data owners, the data engineers to worry about how to implement what the security gives them, you know, from thousands of pages of rules and how to implement them. We take that away. And that, instead of making a more, you know, should we give how much, how many rules, when in conversation into how do we tune the right level of access for self-service for data people, that makes you know data people very happy, and security people sort of comfortable that they're not on the hook for, you know, back and So it sounds like you're really speeding up your deployment aspects by letting your data engineers not necessarily worry about security, but also providing an easy button for your security engineers to protect the data. So what would this look like from a deployment standpoint? Is it a single server? Are there agents? Or how how would this be implemented? And and typically, what team is doing the implementing? All right. So typically what ends up happening is people will start with one Hadoop cluster or they'll start with a green pump cluster or they may be even having um, a data lake where they have a green pump cluster in conjunction with a Hadoop cluster sure. for a bunch of workloads. So the way we come in is we put our we put an adjacent system on place, uh, a couple of VMs that allows us to put our centralized management services. So this would be our policy engine, our audit engine and the administration GUIs. That allows people to, you know, write the rules. Then they connect that to the metadata of the underlying Hadoop cluster or, you know, your, uh, the Greenblum cluster so they know what tables columns exist, what files are in the system. Then through Blue Talon GUI, they can create whatever permissions they want in Blue Talon. Now, some of those, we actually, having done a bunch of these, we kind of know a couple things that we can bootstrap. Mm-hmm. So we start those sets. You know, you start from either 
um, re most restrictive or start from, you know, more enabling that kind of worldview. Uh, but once you've got those in place, then you can put our agents typically installed through Cloudera Manager or, you know, non-interactively through Chef or Puppet Recipes on the clusters itself. And that brings the cluster under management of Blue Talent. So then later, let's say you add another cluster, Green Plum cluster, or you add another Cassandra cluster. All you have to do is take our agent and install it on that to bring that under management. Okay. Wow. So that's people what typical they do. And then they take their apps. The apps continue to operate as they would before. They just have the benefit of the permissions that we create. Love it. Interesting. So so we we got deployment, and that's cool. I'm curious what's what's next for you guys? Like what are you what are you focusing on from a technology development perspective and what gaps are you trying to fill in the market here in the short term? So that's a very exciting question because you know, I lead product, so I, I think about that a lot of where we're headed. So there's basically three main areas where we want to focus in on. So one of the things, the first thing is as people try to, you know, put more and more things into production, there's certain general patterns that keep emerging. So I'll take the case of GDPR in Europe, for example. So there's we're seeing patterns that there's basically two types of rules that are relevant when you're in, you're making if you're using data that has any PII names, email addresses, any if you have a customer loyalty program, you've got data that's subject to GDPR. So the two rules that are relevant there are being able to mask this sensitive information. So you can do column level masking and role level filtering based on consent. So if somebody opts out, how do you use that information in uh, reflecting, excluding that row for that person from the result set? So that's kind of one area. So that's the first area for us is how do we make these templates work out really well for common use cases so data engineers, data security people can actually get started very quickly uh, if they're starting from, you know, um, the zero to one, if you will. So mm -hmm. that we can solve that problem. That's one area. The second area we're excited about is as we, you know, see, we've been around for about five years and we've seen newer, newer data platforms come in, La you know, Spark a couple of years ago, then there's going to be another platform, there's Cassandra. So as new data platforms evolve, our goal is to bring more and more of those under management uh, because you're... Central, you know, investing in a centralized policy management service, it would be nice to expand that to other data platform. And then the last part that I'm really excited about, um, but I think it's, it's a pretty bold vision, uh, which is to be able to link up our auditing with our authorization. And the way that would work is we're in path of all queries. So we know and we can watch who's doing what on the clusters that are under management. It would be great if by looking at the baseline activity on one cluster, you can predict that was already in use before. You can predict how to automate the rules that should be created for the net new cluster you bring under management. Oh, interesting. So that allows you to increase your footprint, get more data platforms out the door, get yeah, more consumption of those data platforms mm -hmm. uh, more widely in the organization. So I think that's, the, that's what we're all building up to. So you're actually going to be embedding some machine learning into the platform yes we had to say machine learning because i mean yep. it's literally like we, we're not allowed to say big data anymore apparently yep. so <laughs> machine learning beard.com yeah yeah uh, ai beard.com yeah, yeah i think that's our next one so so what's your like how do people buy your software is are they buying it just like online is a subscription service like how do they actually when they want to when they get excited about this thing and this is a great question for carrie mm -hmm. how do people consume this software yeah so that's a great question so we are um so for us our great partnership with dell emc right in the dell technologies world we're part of your select organization okay. so we are a subscription-based 
system. Okay. Um, we have it's based on the the platforms we're protecting. So if we're protecting a Hadoop cluster, it's per node per worker. Right. If we're protecting the Greenplum systems, they sell their software licensing them per core. So we follow that model. Right. So to the function is we're much more of an add-in than an add-on. Okay. Right. We want to follow that model so it makes it simple for the customer to understand and utilize. And then it also then makes it very simple to n- not drive weird behavior. And what I mean by that is let's say you've set up a cluster and you want to have two different data centers. But if we were doing it per policy engine, you may need six engines to protect the data the way it should be protected. Mm-hmm. But if we were selling it to you by engine, it, we were actually watching our customers do this. They were doing weird things, like where they would put just two engines in one cluster and trying to connect the clusters together. Yeah. So that, and so we were like, let's stop that. Cause we, wa- we want to do is people to actually protect the data. Mm-hmm. So we've now gone and switched our subscription modeling to what's under protection. Mm-hmm. And so if you need six engines, eight engines, 10 engines, it doesn't matter. Okay. Build the environment the way you need it to protect your data. Yeah. And then, I guess that we are a subscription, so yeah. we do yearly subscriptions, um, you know, and so cool. that's the big thing for us. So unified access control, super cool area where you're actually giving security, and I loved the, the way you said it, culturally acceptable way to apply it with data folks. That's super interesting technology. But I'm curious, you've been in the, you said you've been in business for five years. I, I want to get a sense for, like, what is it like to be, a founder of a tech company in Silicon Valley. And I know that's a big question, but like if you were to say like, what are the like maybe two or three like most interesting things you've learned in the process of founding a company? So the first thing is you don't know squat when you first start. (laughs) Um, The second thing is you have to learn that you don't know squat when you first start. Um, no, we, it's kind of funny. When we first started, I, I thought that we were going to build a SaaS company where we we're going to put a cloud platform and our software in the cloud and everybody would consume and open up their firewall rules uh, on their enterprises and connect it to our cloud service. It turns out that not a lot of companies are willing to do that. <laughs> um, and then it also turned out that um, the amount of money it would take to actually build that from zero day yeah. was several tens of millions of dollars yeah. um, and several years. So, so we, the one thing that I learned was, you know, from meeting you know folks like Kerry, I like got to work with Kerry uh, prior to him uh, coming to Blue Talon um, on one of the data lake platforms. So. By bringing and getting an understanding of how other people are coming from, where they're coming from, um, how they're seeing the world, it helps shape and fine tune kind of where we're going. And that was um, that was a fun, exciting thing for me because you know I had never built a software company before, so and I'm a chemist, and I tell people that. <laughs> and the first thing they ask me about is you know Walter White, and I've never seen that. The second thing they ask me about is. Silicon Valley, yeah. and I refuse to watch that. Oh, oh. that's oh, see, Dude, you, I was just oh, thinking Silicon that Valley too. is great. Yeah. Yeah. Asking, and, and uh, <laughs> that's that's too bad. We're fans, but yeah. so it is funny. You actually say the, the about the we've we've viewed this as we're going to build this cloud, and everybody's going to consume it that way. By the way, same thing. Amr Awadala says the co-founder of Cloudera. They named the company Cloudera because yep. he was like, oh, we're just going to deploy the cloud. And everybody's going to bring their data there, and it's going to happen. He's like, and our investors finally told us, like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Keep the name, but it's yep. fine. That's not how it's really going to work in the yep. enterprise. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. So I want you to answer them. 
and just the first thing that comes to mind. And Pratik will give you the right first right of usual. So you answer first, then Carrie. So Kyle's going to ask the questions for us. All right, ready? First question: What year will Skynet go online? Um. 2042. 2042. Carrie. <laughs> 42 is the answer to everything, uh, right? <laughs> 2042, the answer to everything. Love, life, and the universe. Okay. All right. What is the last book you read? Or what uh, would be one you would suggest? Shoe Dog. Phil Knight. Apparently, it was a book about how some one of the most unhealthy group of people created a shoe athletic company. That was pretty good. Okay. It, Actually, the last one I read was actually I just rereading the trilogy, the Hobbit and the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings. It's my, it's my guilty pleasure I've done since I was a young teen. So about every two or three years I reread it. So I'm actually in the middle of rereading that now. So that's, uh, it's it's kind of funny because I I love Tolkien, right? And every time I read it, I think I know it, and I read it and I see other things that you missed along the way. So it's kind of yeah. cool. I. Uh... I don't have the attention span to watch the movies. I couldn't imagine trying to finish the books. <laughs> oh, the books are awesome. My favorite thing about the books is understanding that the hobbits have multiple breakfasts. Yes. That's my favorite. They're living like right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, what genre of music are you rocking right now? Um, it's embarrassing. It's whatever in the top 100 that comes up on Amazon. He's a pop guy. Uh, <laughs> pop guy. Uh, so I still, uh, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 80s, right? So I still rock the, the metal. And I, actually, I've gotten my teenage daughters into it. She came home one day. She's like, Dad, Dad, I heard this great band called ACDC. I go, yeah, I know. I saw them. <laughs> so when they were young. You, we have so many uh, guests on the show that are just metal fans. Yeah. We're, I'm I, missing it. I did not see I, this coming. I'm missing out. Yeah, I got to get back in it. I have a child of the 90s, so it's been... <laughs> I love nine. Your Red Hot Chili Peppers. And oh yeah, Third Eye Blind. <laughs> Third Eye love Blind. Language there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I love those guys too. But I'm, you know, it's kind of like you said. It's your love of the '90s. I'm a child of the '80s. It's what sticks with you. Absolutely. Okay. What piece of technology is making your life worse? <laughs> I can tell you one thing: stupid two-factor authentication. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny for it's security. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I see the use for it. Oh, man. Uh, actually, I, if you'd asked me this six months ago, I'd have told you my MacBook because <laughs> I was a PC guy for a long, long time. But now it's um, it and I and Google are good friends. So, you know, kind of moving through it. I think the big one now for me is, uh, you know, the technologies in the cars. And it just it's it's both advanced and scary at the same time, especially with teenage daughters out there driving. So yeah, we need to show you this device. Have you seen the. Um the automatic. Yeah. You know about those? Verizon has like the hum. It's phenomenal. And I, I thought about for kids, I not. I'm like, I'm not going to let them get away with anything. Exactly. I'm going to track everything on them. <laughs> Just have push alerts to your phones whenever yeah. it goes over 35 miles exactly. an hour. Exactly. It's going to kick off their FaceTime camera to make sure that it's in, it's on the dash or it's in her pocket, not, yeah. you know, being held. Yeah. By that point, you can just remote break the car. Yeah. <laughs> Delightful. Yeah. Get home now. <laughs> uh, what is your biggest money pit right now? So we do a lot of testing and automated testing and to get all the variation of uh, sort of the test condition configuration in place, our bill on our software compute for running all these tests is on a monthly basis, like at least 50 grand. What's your biggest personal money pit? My biggest, my Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to Car convince guy. him to yeah. put a big turbo in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, I mentioned I have teenage daughters. So <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm done. Yeah. Hey, you drive my car when you're in California, so That's there you true. go. That's right. Do you take track days at all? Not yet. 
Okay. I have not. Laguna Seca is just, yes. just a drive down south, dude. we got to get out. I'll Sounds come. like you're going to have to I'll trailer. trailer. I'll trailer out and go. can play with you. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Uh, are you guys going anywhere interesting soon? Well, probably Singapore and Europe. Singapore's great. I was thinking home. <laughs> <laughs> heard of it at one point. I heard I'd love to see point. it. I'm loving to see it again. That's the place where my laundry gets done, right? Yeah. Exactly. Now you've, you've been out to Singapore. I have. Was that recently? Yeah, it was this fall. Singapore's awesome. Yeah, it's like an incredibly clean city. The food in Southeast Asia. You've, you've been before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's phenomenal. So we, used to, we used to live in Singapore. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Oh, very um, cool. Although I would say as a child, you know, in fifth grade, the reality in Singapore is very different than as an adult. Yeah. As an adult, you can go around, you can do all the things. As a child, you can't chew gum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, cool. we were there in Singapore when, um, I don't know if I can say this anymore, but um, one of the American teenagers vandalized a bunch of cars. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Flogging, right? Yep. So there was, a, there was a public flogging on that guy. Oh, that's crazy. Well, that Weird. doesn't force you to behave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what show are you binging right now? Um... Actually, Californication. It's an oh. old show. But yeah. yeah. Was it David Duchovny in that yes, one? Yes, David yeah. Duchovny, yeah. It's on uh, HBO, right? Um, I think I'm on Netflix or something now. Yeah. Awesome. How about you, Carrie? Uh, I'm not binging anything right now, but um, I'm, I'm happy that my Archer's cranked back up. So I, I binge watch Archer all the time on the plane. I was actually watching it on the plane on the way out here. I'm like, oh, I've seen all these, but they're just, you know, it's my guilty pleasure. They're the best. Hey, yeah. That character's utterly Read a book, Lana. What about you guys? What are you watching? <laughs> Uh, I started, uh, one of the, I can't think of the name of the Netflix. It's the one where it's like, uh, Luke Cage, uh, and Jessica Jones. It's the combined series. I just started that one. I can't remember what it's called. It's like, it's the defenders. Maybe I think is what's called where they're defending New York. It's on Netflix. Okay. It's delightful. It's one of those. My wife, I had a hard time getting her into like Netflix shows. So like for whatever reason, she's, she's really into just like turn the TV on, turn something on that's just like HGTV or something running in the background while she does something else. And I'm like, at night I really want to watch a show that like I get into. Like, I really enjoy it. So I started that one because she generally likes comic kind of tales. So we're journeying through some of those. I started the... Um, I haven't started the new Netflix, the, what's the, Danger Will Robinson, the Lost in Space. Lost in Space, yeah, have yeah, I'm waiting for that one. I'm gonna... Have y'all seen what's going on with that show? No. The Unintended Consequences? And Netflix has even come out and talked about it. There are apparently a large number of people who find the robot incredibly sexy. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Literally, like Netflix released a video yeah. talking about like the unintended. Like we, wow. by the way, y'all are weird. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't see this. Danger coming. Will Robinson. I know, literally, yeah. like why they had to make that robot so sexy? Exactly. You so found the weird PG, part of the internet. The PG show. Oh, I can only imagine what's happening on Reddit related to that oh, topic. Gosh. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, Pratika, Gary, thank you so much for being on. We've had a blast talking with you, learning from founder of an interesting software company that's doing great work in the unified access really providing this great cultural mesh between security and data people i hope you guys have safe travels home and thanks so much for being part of the big data beard podcast while at dell technologies world where can we find you on the internet blue talent.com all right how about you personally oh i'm on twitter uh pratt verm so you can look me up and how is you carrie uh twitter carrie james 33 find me on linkedin i'm the only carrie james out there (laughs) i'm not jim carrie i'd be a lot funnier and a lot richer You'd have a better beard. You'd have, have, have a better beard. I'd have a better beard. Well, guys, thanks so much for being on. I hope you had a good time. Us. Thanks for being here. All right, cheers. Thanks, cheers. guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 
As a reminder, Disney's Data Analytics Conference is only a few months away, taking place in Orlando, Florida on August the 28th and 29th. This is one of the premier data analytics conferences and a must attend for all data analytics practitioners and enthusiasts. Not only is there an all-star lineup of speakers and sessions, but come on, it's Disney! The Big Data Beard team is a sponsor this year and we are offering one lucky listener the chance for a free pass to the conference. Starting on June the 12th, subscribe to our YouTube channel or review one of our podcast episodes on iTunes or Google Play and you'll be entered into the contest. You can do both, giving you a greater chance of winning the pass. We will announce the winner on July the 10th. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify. Good luck and thanks for listening.